Welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Dahl. And this week, we are continuing the 1949 nominees with The Heiress, starring Olivia de Havilland. And it's our second in three weeks we try and make Olivia de Havilland look ugly so she wins an Oscar movie. Yeah, I, it really is. And, you know, while I was watching this, I thought, you know, Hollywood, you could have just made a movie about, like, a 30-year-old woman or even, like, a 25-year-old woman instead of trying to convince me that Olivia de Havilland was 18 and ugly because she just looks her age of 30-something. <laughs> yeah. Like, she's a gorgeous 33-year-old woman. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, this movie is... I This is... I mean, one, this movie really feels like a throwback to, like, pretty good movies we saw in the 30s. Yes. Movies have really come a long way already in this decade. But the other thing about this movie is that this is maybe the most acute Oscar clip picture that we've seen. This movie not only has a scene that is the, like, this is why you win an Oscar scene. It has a line. It has a line. Is it when her aunt says, you're very cruel? And she says, yes, I can be very cruel. I was taught by master." Yup. <laughs> okay. I figured that was what it was, but if you know, maybe there was another one. No, because like the thing about this movie is it's an hour and 50 minutes long. And for the first hour and 30 minutes, Olivia de Havilland plays an incredibly passive nothing character so that in the last 20 minutes she can just play anything. And it's fucking amazing. Yeah. You know what else is I was a lot more relieved to watch a non-message movie than I thought I would be. Because <laughs> this movie isn't even, it's not a great film. It's entertaining and it is compelling to watch. But, you know, it's not the greatest movie I've ever seen by any stretch of the imagination. But to just have a movie that was about one person's story and was not supposed to be representative of some marginalized group was actually kind of a relief. Yeah. Oh, whatever missteps these people make, they're not representing the entirety of, you know, everyone who has mental health issues or everyone who is deaf or everyone who is fighting against anti-Semitism. <laughs> like, these are just fucked up people who have some problems and we get to watch their problems for two hours. Yeah. It sounds like I was a little more down on this movie than you. My main problem with this movie is that a lot of it is just kind of boring to me. I don't think it really comes alive until Olivia de Havilland becomes a more active character, which really is the back third of the movie. Oh, God, not even. Yeah. It's not terrible before that, 
but it is not it it doesn't really grab your attention no i think for me a big part of it was watching it through this lens of oh my god hollywood why do you think that 33 year old women are hideous (laughs) it is wild how everybody in this movie is like who her is she funny or something and it's like yes and extremely attractive she's olivia de havilland (laughs) Like, it's an entire movie of the she's all that scene where everybody is like, how could you possibly make her attractive? And it's because like, she's an incredibly beautiful woman. It's fairly fucking easy. Right. And it's also very strange to see her playing this shy, reserved, awkward girl, like a young girl who has just come out in society. Because vocally, she's there, and she has the mannerisms, and it is the kind of thing that if I saw a stage production, and I saw Olivia de Havilland from, you know, 20 feet away, I would be like, yeah, okay, she's selling it. Like, suspension of disbelief is happening. But when you do it on film, it's just very, very difficult to... Why? And this will continue forever. I mean, they still do it today where it's like, okay, let's cast a 30 year old as a 17 year old. I've lived long enough that I know what those bags under someone's eyes mean because I watched my own face do this. (laughs) Right. Like, that's the weirdest. The the thing that's weird about this is not even necessarily that it casts a 30 year old as a 17 year old. I think that can be fine. It's just that the, a huge portion of this movie is spent going like, Christ, she looks like a 30-year-old. And it's like, she is? What are you like? It'd be like if Riverdale just did episode after episode of like, none of you look like you're teenagers. Like, we need to go, do it a congressional investigation of why you all look like you're 30. Yeah. And it's like, because they're all fucking 30, my man. Yeah. Hi. Uh, have you watched Never Have I Ever? No, but you are like the third person this week. We want to. We need to. We need to get to it. Yeah. I mean, it's very it, it goes down very easily. Yeah. And and it is delightful in a number of ways. But the, and this is not a spoiler or even like a plot point. But one of the characters in the show is a 30-year-old actor playing a 17-year-old boy. And there is a point in the show where an adult woman is introduced to Riverdale and then becomes addicted to Riverdale and says something like, how do all these teens look like they are in their 30s and so sophisticated? And I'm like, you're literally on a show with somebody who's 30 playing 17. (laughs) Like, do you... Do you get to make that joke when you're living that joke? (laughs) Which apparently, yes, you do. Because it still is funny. (sighs) But it's wild how consistent that is. And how, like, we now live in a world where there is meta-commentary on it. Even while it's happening on the same show. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, we should talk about the plot of this movie. Right. Because there's really surprisingly little of it. So Olivia de Havilland is playing a woman named Catherine Sloper, which already fates against her with that name. Mm. But she has an emotionally abusive asshole dad who is a doctor who cannot shut up about how great her dead mom was and how her mom was better at everything and prettier than her and actually an interesting person where she's boring all the time. That's basically all he ever talks about. And to her face. Yeah. And tells her how awkward she is and complains about how like, oh, well, I've done absolutely everything to give her 
everything that she needs to be charming and personable. And I'm like, yeah, except love and support and safety, you fucking dick. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, no, it's... I hate him so much. I thought you were going to hate this movie a lot more since an hour of this movie is just sitting in men being emotionally abusive to Olivia de Havilland. It does turn around, and that's really interesting. So she goes out to a society party and meets this guy, Morris, who invented Timothy Chalamet. Just absolute fuckboy. Uh, yeah, actually, Montgomery Cliffs did invent Timothy Chalamet. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, across his entire career, he played just fuckboys left and right. Yeah. But she meets this fuckboy. The fuckboy is like, hey, we should get married. I'm in love with you. The dad is like, he only loves you for your money. She's like, no, that couldn't possibly be true. And the dad goes, I mean, honestly, there's like a lot of maneuvering around this, but all of it kind of sucks. Um, but the it ends with the dad going, you still get your mom's inheritance of 10000 but you do not get my 20000 a year uh, if you marry this guy. And she goes, well, I love him, so I'm just going to go off with him. Tells Morris, like, we're never going to get my dad's money, but we'll have the 10000 a year and we'll have each other and morris goes actually i'm a dip <laughs> and then does yes <laughs> yeah and then olivia de havilland is finally legally allowed to act yes and and my only real complaint actually with her performance in this film is that it is such a departure yeah i mean i don't know how many years later or whatever no, actually, because it happens even before then, when she chews her dad out and she's like, I know you hate me and fuck you, basically. Yeah. Her voice drops an octave. Yeah. <laughs> okay, did she just age 12 years in this moment? I think the idea is supposed to be, and here is the thing where I do have to go like, because this transformation is so weird and awkward, I don't actually think Olivia de Havilland is that great in this movie. Because I think a better performance would give a better sense that this person was always inside of Catherine. Yes, I agree. Would give a better sense that, like, beneath the sort of awkwardness and the held pose of what her dad is doing to her... There was always the Catherine that comes out and is just absolutely acid and fucking awesome to everyone around her. But it does sort of feel like it, like, just comes out of nowhere. Like, it, well, it doesn't come out of nowhere. That was, I paused there because it comes out of a very specific thing, which is Morris leaving her Morris ditching her right but it doesn't feel like the seeds were planted it doesn't feel like it's of a piece with the rest of the performance it feels like Olivia de Havilland's like great I get to act I get to do something now yes and it, we're just off to the races it feels like the actor is shrugging off the weight of the character rather than the character is shrugging off the weight of her abusive father. Yeah. Because, yeah, it does not feel earned. It does not feel like this is... I mean, there's totally a way in which Catherine learns to stand up for herself in that moment out of heartbreak and anger, but it would not be quite so far as it goes, just because she doesn't have any practice. Yeah. 
You don't really get the sense that this was always who she was waiting to come out, even though the script kind of says that a couple of times. No, because you never have these moments where this secretly shines through or like she says something that is sort of clever and biting. And there are opportunities for that because she has this aunt who is always around and who is kind of that way herself, but who is also way overly romantic and has been pushing for this match with Morris. And there are places where she could be something other than incredibly shy and awkward and she doesn't seem terribly conversational in the way that would be required to drop these vicious bombs once she has been freed from feeling like she has to satisfy her dad. There's just never any sign of it. She trips over her tongue half the time, you know? The core problem with this movie is it feels like the movie actually kind of agrees with the dad's assessment of her. Yeah, that she's boring and that the only thing that she does that's of any quality or use is she's a good embroiderer. And doesn't really show you any sort of underlying inner life interesting person that's being held down by her dad's abusive behavior. It really just seems to go like, well, she actually kind of is those things, but people are a big enough jerk about it that she transforms into this, like, acid-tongued heiress that destroys everyone around her just to feel something. And also because she can. Right. Because they've destroyed her, so she's going to have her revenge. And yeah, they have not set up a character who would be capable of that. So it's strange in that way. Um, That being said... Yeah. If you just divorce it entirely from the rest of the movie, it is a delight to watch. Absolutely. <laughs> I almost interrupted you when you were like that weird scene where she like yells at the dad immediately. And I'm like, yeah, but that scene rules. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> that, like <laughs> the dad is like, well, he only wants you for the money. I wouldn't want to force you to live with someone who doesn't like you. And she was like, why not? You made me live with you for 20 years, you old fuck. <laughs> um <laughs> He dies of act three wasting disease mm -hmm. and she refuses to see him on his deathbed. Which, my God, what a power move. Right. <laughs> He's like, if you continue to be mean like this, I'm going to cut you out of the will. And she goes, great, let's do it right now. Walks across the room, grabs a pen and paper and goes, you're going to need to speak up, dictate. You need to tell me what words you want me to use. And he's like, "I'm. let's not do this. Let's not have this fight. And she's like, yeah, I thought so. Like, I thought you were. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And it is great that he's like, I was never going to take away your inheritance. And she's like, yeah, I know, bitch. <laughs> yeah. But after that great sequence, we time jump to meh, meh, years, years later. Yeah. <laughs> when Olivia de Havilland is correctly cast for this role, age appropriate for it. Or honestly, maybe is too young for it. It's honestly, it's kind of hard to say. It is very up in the air as to what time period it is yeah morris comes back from california with a mustache so bad he would be undateable even if it weren't for all the other shit about him oh god it is really bad <laughs> and tries to get her back by going oh i just wouldn't want to be the man that stood between you and your inheritance and the whole movie catherine has had this aunt that 
um, sucks. Um, but kind of delightfully so. But is like, finally, a chance for romance. You can get back together. And for a moment, she's like, yes, that's great. Let's go off and get married the way we were going to. You just go off and get all your bags and things. And then sits down and continues to do needlework. And it's just like, oh yeah, no, I'm not going to marry him. I just want him to know what it's like to think that's going to happen and then have somebody pull the rug out from under you. And that is where we have the, yes, I can be very cruel, I have been taught by masters line. Oh, it's delivered so beautifully, too. But also, again, not earned. Yeah. Don't care. Mm-hmm. And then Morris shows up with all of his bags. Yeah. <laughs> and she tells the the maid to bolt the door. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that felt really nice. It is a really <laughs> nice ending. I checked. It is an hour and 30 minutes in this hour and 50 minute movie when the dad reveals that he is dying. And that is like a switch has been flipped. You are just in a new movie now and that movie is much more interesting and Olivia de Havilland is acting in it and it's good. Yes. But it's a very small portion of the film. But that part rules, but eh, the rest of the movie kind of doesn't. And whenever I remember the rest of the movie around that part, I all the energy drains out of my body, basically. <laughs> I did not have that bad of an experience with the rest of it because I kind of was hoping that that's what we were leading up to was what actually happened. Some sort of vengeance on the shitty men in her life, right? Uh, which is never guaranteed. I mean, we have definitely watched plenty of movies where it is an hour and a half of men abusing some woman, and then the film thinks that she gets her, like, fairy tale ending because she goes off with the younger one who is abusive to her and marries him. <laughs> and in this movie, it was like, nah, you know what? Being a badass spinster is actually the best possible option here and is great, and I have money, and I don't give a fuck what anybody else thinks <laughs> including my aunt who thinks that i'm cruel and i always live in hope for those kind of endings when i have this sort of movie which means i'm usually really disappointed <laughs> but in this case i got it so i felt like oh man my investment was rewarded for once <laughs> From the sort of plot outline of this, I thought sticking the landing was going to be this movie's problem. There's this dramatic tension in movies that are about traumatizing a woman in the way that this movie is. You can go too far in one direction really easily where we're just staring at a woman's trauma pointlessly. Right. We just want to force you to watch a woman's trauma. And then in the other direction, there's this very pat, like, well, now I've channeled it. I've built the orphanage that I needed to build from all of these men traumatizing. Right, yes. And threading that needle is so difficult (laughs) that I honestly am scared of this kind of movie and don't watch them very often. Like, this kind of movie. That's totally fair. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But... This movie, I think, threads that needle really well. Its problem is actually that getting there is really boring. (laughs) We've definitely watched more boring movies. Like, this is not in old Arizona or anything. This is not one of the movies I definitionally have forgotten about because they're so boring. (laughs) 
But Morris just seems like a fuckboy from scene one. So I'm not particularly engaged by their romance. There's not really any depth to the dad being an asshole from scene one. He's like, hup, pup, no one was ever good except for my dead wife. And you're like, oh, well, I get his whole character game. And so you're just waiting for the turn. You're waiting for Olivia de Havilland to be allowed to do something. Mm. And that takes a long time. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm not going to be that rough on this movie when we come to actually grading it. But I didn't have a great experience watching this movie outside of that last 20 minute stretch. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say I had like a great experience. There's not a whole lot to attach yourself to before that last 20 minutes. Yeah. It's in black and white, which is fine, but it does mean that art direction has to be so fucking good that it overcomes the fact that you can't see any of the color, and that's not the case here. Like, the art direction is fine. It's almost entirely a drawing room play. You know, the costumes are also fine. I think probably the best visual parts of it are seeing Washington Square Park without, like, NYU students and shitty weed dealers. (laughs) Yeah. The very first shot is a sign going like, welcome to Washington Square Park or something around a bunch of flowers. And I'm like, oh, there was like a park there. That makes sense. (laughs) There's like two women with a baby carriage. (laughs) And I'm thinking, wow, not a thing that you would see for very long there. So yeah, there's not a whole lot to sink your teeth into. I think that for me, yes, I think Morris was a pretty obvious fuckboy from the beginning. I was interested to see how that played out because I feel like we have seen more obvious villain types who are clearly trying to seduce a woman for her money or prestige or whatever. And in this, there's almost this layer where he was buying his own bullshit. Yeah. I didn't show up because, you know, I could never have you suffer the loss of your inheritance. I would have been such a cad to do that. And she says, well, I didn't lose my inheritance. My dad wasn't actually going to do that. It was just a threat. And he says, oh, well, but, you know, I couldn't have been certain of that. And there was the feeling of this is a guy who has been playing this role for so long that he started to buy his own garbage, which I think is actually quite interesting watching that develop because it doesn't feel that way at the beginning. (laughs) I think this is a personal preference thing because I actually sort of felt like that was my problem with the, not with the performance, but with the movie is that like, God, I don't even get to enjoy like a con man doing the con. Because you're right, there is this sense of he believes it. That that's why this is effective at all. That's fair. That's fair. That is a personal preference thing. I think everybody's giving the right performance except kind of Olivia de Havilland for that first hour. I think they're giving the performance that they should be giving for this script for the sort of wrestling around Catherine's marriage between the dad and Morris and the aunt going like, ah, romance, but also I'm never going to actually put my neck out for anything. Yep. But it doesn't really grab you or it didn't really grab me. And I felt like I was just kind of waiting for that turn and it was worth it. It was worth the wait, but boy, it's a wait. I respect your opinion, even if I do not share it. (laughs) That's fine. 
this is not one of those times where I'm like, oh my God, what are you talking about? Because like, we saw the same thing. It's just you didn't enjoy it and I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I get that. I do think Montgomery Clift does a good job of making Morris charming, but in a way that I didn't really feel like, oh, I need to watch 40 minutes of this. And you do watch 40 minutes of him just sort of being kind of blandly handsome and charming. But not even that charming. Like when he comes over and plays the piano for her and sings for her and his voice sucks, I was like, oh man, this is great. Yeah. This is great. Like he is not whatever the Mary Sue equivalent is for dudes where it's always the whole package. She's settling for the first person who shows her any kind of attention. He's not great. (laughs) I kind of wish the movie leaned into that more. I think Montgomery Clift is giving that performance and I don't think the movie is really fully meeting him there, you know? Yeah. Like, I do kind of wish that the dad was a little bit more of, he's not even a very good con man. Your mother would have settled for the absolute best charming rogue in New York. He's maybe top 50. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. Maybe. And instead goes after her when he's talking to Morris is like, there are Or no, he's talking to his own daughter. They're like hundreds, maybe thousands of women in New York who are prettier and better and smarter than you. (laughs) And I'm like, why are you going after her? Why don't you go after the asshole? Oh, God, I hate the dad so much. And he's like, oh, I'm sick and I'm going to need a doctor within a few days. And I'm like, good. Yeah. Fuck you. (laughs) It is really very satisfying. Uh, weirdly, I think in not doing a particularly great job, especially during that part, it almost seems like the dad is faking being ill in this movie. Ralph Richardson is not exactly giving it his all. No, would not say so. But I actually think that works weirdly better. Yeah, I do too. (laughs) Because it does sort of play like he is trying to get people to pity him. And (laughs) Catherine's just like, nope hope you die yeah sucks for you anyway bye yeah i don't know i'm talking myself into liking this movie more and more uh let's rate this movie uh i'm I'm gonna say hmm so um, my gut says six and my heart says seven which makes me feel like it's probably a six i you know i'm torn between those exact same numbers so six and a half Yeah, I really do feel like, I think sort of weirdly mathematically, it is the joke, not a joke that we have figured out the like objective scale for rating all film. (laughs) But like that last 20 minutes is a 10. Absolutely. And I do think the rest of this movie is like a eh, two or a three, Eh, three. That's a lot more of the movie and that brings it down. But yeah, I do think even in that first boring part, there are people giving interesting performances. There are things before the movie really comes alive. But yeah, six and a half. It almost gets up there so that I would love it if I could be like, it's worth watching that first hour and 30 minutes so you can watch the last 20 minutes. Because I do think without that first hour and 30 minutes that last 20 minutes doesn't really work. No, because you need the change. But also, it's... Yeah, it's strange, because it's it's enjoyable to watch, but it is super unearned. Yeah. So it's weird to be like, yeah, 
watch this movie that's not very good so you can see these 20 minutes that wouldn't be as good without the preceding hour and 10 or hour and 30. Yeah. But also kind of, I want to say that. (laughs) I get that same impulse. I, I can't quite make the jump. I can't quite say watch this movie. I think a seven is watch this movie, you know? Yeah. It's worth it just to get there is what would happen if I jumped up to a seven and I just I can't quite do it. It's real close. If this is on Turner Classic Movies, if somebody's like, you have to watch The Heiress, you can watch The Heiress. Right. There's a lot of movies we watched where if somebody's like, you really got to watch Lives of a Bengal Lancer, I'm like, get out. <laughs> Like, you gotta get out of there. What's what with this person? Put this person in a snake pit. Yeah. But I personally am just not quite there on recommending it because you do have to sit through a lot of movie to get to the part that really is outstanding. Yeah, I'm not sure that I can solidly recommend that. This one is one where I'm like, it's your choice. I'm not going to tell you you shouldn't watch it. Yeah. But I'm not going to be like, oh my God, if you don't watch this movie, you're really missing out on something amazing. If that makes sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Cool. So for next week, we are watching All the King's Men. Woo! The Pulitzer Prize winning novel becomes a vital, very great motion picture. That is the tagline. (laughs) (laughs) Which is something. That is a tagline. I don't know that it's really selling me on watching a movie, but it is a great book. I've read the book many, 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 many years ago. And it's supposed to be a really good movie, so... Alright. I have neither read the book nor watched the movie, so I am... I don't know. I was gonna say interested, but that's not necessarily true at this point in the project. (laughs) I'm ready for anything, is actually honestly the the way that I feel. I could endure this, maybe? That's kind of how you feel? (laughs) I'm excited for it. I enjoyed the book. Uh, It is essentially a fictionalized version of the story of Huey Long, so that's interesting. Oh, yeah. And it was the winner, which makes me a little nervous <laughs> if I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> the Academy has not had a great track record the last decade or so. Or ever, I feel like. Uh, you know, I was listening... Right at the beginning, I feel like. I was about to say, I was listening back to our really, really first, like, first episodes It's 31 before they make a choice where we're like, you're wrong. (laughs) And then it's 35, 36 before... 36 is Great Zigfield, which is the first one where we're like, that's insane. You are wrong. Right. (laughs) And then, honestly, then they just never recover. Yeah, it has not been a good run for them lately. Yeah. But tune in next week to see if maybe that's changing in the last year of the 40s yeah and until then this was a movie i was gonna do a like this was a play thing but i actually think one of the things about this is they do a very good job of adapting a play into a movie um which i maybe should have mentioned earlier but i didn't bye everybody (laughs) yeah better late than never (laughs) yeah goodbye short time.